Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Molo Sambonani, hello, how's it? Shalom, and welcome to your first ever taste of the IRR show. That's right, we are the irreverent, relevant, and real show. And um, yeah, I'm very happy to be on your airwaves again. Welcome to the very first show of the, or oh, excuse me, welcome to the very first IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty, and I'm your host for the show. That's right, you heard me right. It's Big Daddy Liberty, but I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm joined in studio by my my co-host and the ever-radiant Sarah Khan. Sarah, good morning, good morning. Good morning, Sikhle. Good morning. That's right. Every Tuesday from 9 to 10, the IRR show will present an hour of news, analysis and opinion on everything that is current in South Africa from a classically liberal perspective. Our analysis will be based on hard facts and thorough research, and our opinions will be varied and largely unexpected. I've got some questions for you. As follows, do you believe that free markets are the best way to grow the economy? Do you believe that it's your choice what work you do? Do you believe your health care and your children's education should be yours to choose? Do you believe in the rule of law and the supremacy of the Constitution? Do you believe that if individual rights are protected first and foremost, that everyone else's rights will be protected too? And do you think the government should be as small as possible? Now, if you've answered yes to most or all of those questions, you are a liberal in the best sense. For you, freedom is paramount. We would describe ourselves as not alt-right, nor as alt-left, but perhaps alt-center. And we don't believe that the liberal voice for the moderate majority is being heard nearly enough on radio in South Africa. We are going to change that. Absolutely, we're going to change that. And again, a welcome to anybody who's just joined us through the IRR show. We are the irreverent, relevant, and real show. This show is brought to you by the South African Institute of Race Relations in partnership, of course, with High FM. And uh, as I said, I'm your host, Big Daddy Liberty, and I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Sarah Gahn. Sarah, I'm actually going to jump straight into this week. And mm-hmm. before I do, let me just quickly explain to the listeners as to how the show, generally speaking, will be broken down. Okay. Um, this is a one-hour show between uh, 9 and 10 every Tuesday. And um, there's three segments that we essentially have on the show. The first segment is we look at the week that was. You know, what were the topical news items, um, you know, the, the, the big issues that people should be aware of, following, and, of course, tracking insofar as what's in the news media at the moment. The week that was. We we'll always begin our show by looking at that and having a conversation with Sarah and I um, on those issues so that that you guys become aware of what's going on around you and also, you know, are armed with the arguments, so to speak, around how to look at the news and the world around you. So that'll always be a segment that we begin our show with. It's about a seven-minute conversation that we'll have as we look at the week that was. And, of course, the coup de grace, the mainstay, the big kahuna itself will be the big interview that we do, um, about a 20-minute interview that we'll have um, with expert guests um, or even a panel discussion with some of our 
colleagues from the Institute of Race Relations. These are analysts and experts on all things policy, and um, I think you guys will really enjoy that. And indeed, today we have uh, two special guests for you who we'll introduce later, uh, who are from the Institute, as we look at the issue of the burgeoning crime epidemic in this country. And we ask the question, do the South African police service have crime in this country under control, or even are they even on top of it? Um, as we look at the xenophobic attacks and um, the spate of what have been uh, gender-based violence issues and, and the like. So we're going to have that conversation later on to, uh, in the show with our guests from the Institute of Race Relations. But um, And of course, we'll end the show off, I said there's three segments, by looking at the week ahead, what you should be looking out for, what are the top issues, uh, the news, analysis, and opinion that you should be looking out for. And of course, we'll share some interesting stuff, You know, whether there are events or interesting books, podcasts, and shows that we will recommend to you guys. So let me hop straight into it, Sarah. Sarah, as I said, um, you know we've had a very interesting week, um, especially this past weekend. Big news items came out, but top of mind is the Tito Mboweni, the finance minister. He releases this policy paper, uh, this policy position, which really ruffled the feathers of the South African left, didn't it? It, it sure did, and it largely did because a great deal of the policy paper was essentially a free market friendly paper it went against a lot of the grain of the shibboleths of the left and that is everything that should encourage growth and encourage uh, investment it's not a perfect document by any means and there are a lot of contradictions in it but it is a combination both of annoying the left which is predictable and perhaps almost the suddenness of us of it and one of the reasons that is thought to be uh, have come out is to head off a downgrade, the Moody's downgrade. Absolutely. And the real issue here, Sarah, is that this paper was important for two distinct reasons. Number one, it bursts the myth that the current ANC is a battle between the quote-unquote Zoomites, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the ones who are, are accused of being kleptocrats, cr- cronies, etc., etc., and the supposed New Dawn Ramaphosaites. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, what it really exposes is that the real distinction really is a, a, an ideas one. The idea that you have in government a a broad uh, coalition, if you will, of leftists. You know, le- when I say leftists, I'm talking about socialists and communists who have done the hard work, so to speak, mm-hmm. of controlling the key clusters, especially the economic clusters, and essentially driving the sort of policies that have seen South Africa go through the slump. So it's actually a real battle between the, the, that grouping, the left, and those who we can broadly call the reformists. Mm-hmm. Because, as you said, this policy paper was actually, um, you know, it was hit and miss, but when it did hit, it was very good. Mm. Insofar as advocating for, uh, you know, the growth of small business, uh, looking at labor reforms, mm-hmm. uh, or just... Uh, you know, some reprieve for smaller businesses in, in particular, um, and other interventions in there which economists around the spectrum sort of roundly welcomed. Mm. No, it was, this is, it was one of those sort of black and white scenarios. The business sector largely welcomed the r- report. The trade union sector and the communist party largely did not in no uncertain terms. And it's not, I'm not even sure it's as clear cut as the reformers versus the, the left because the left and the reformers are all under the, the so-called Ramaphosa mm. um, camp. Um, I think it's the, those who understand that what the left wants is going to destroy the country Absolutely. versus the left who want to go ahead whatever the, whatever the cost and for whatever reason. And it's really, it, that's why the, the ANC sort of splits are so yeah. difficult to, to determine because there's no, 
and, hard, and, hard lines. And we'll look at this and, and other issues in, in upcoming shows, especially as we begin to unpack the ideology that we, we often rail against that comes out of government. But let's, let's go into the other big uh, ticket items that we mm-hmm. saw. The IFP, the Nkasa Freedom Party, uh, fourth largest party in the country, uh, they held their, um, elective conference. Um, but before I get into that, let's actually cross to a small ad break. Let's pay our bills and we'll be back after these messages. Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty. I'm your co-host, joined, of course, by Sarah Gon, uh, co-hosting the show with me. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I think uh, we're, we're slowly getting there. <laughs> Look, it's our first show, so there will be a few nerves. Um, so if you hear a few shaky voices, do forgive us. But um, we're going to have our... Uh, we're going to finish our conversation I think we were sort of broaching earlier on mm-hmm. About the IFP and their conference um, A little later mm-hmm. I really want to get into our um, interview today mm-hmm. And our, yeah. um, and we're joined in studio by two gentlemen Who I can safely describe as uh, You know, some of the sharpest minds In the country For all things policy analysis um, We are joined by uh, uh, excuse me, we're joined by Mr. Morris Root, who is an IRR analyst. Um, Morris, good morning, how are you doing? Morning, Sikhle, morning, Sarah. How's it? Hello, hello. And of course, we're joined by Mr. Nicholas Lorimer, who's also an Institute of Race Relations analyst um, and a guru on all things, um, let's call it crime-related, but we'll, we'll get into it as we have this conversation. L- Nicholas, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, Sikhle. Awesome. Um, chaps, I began the show by basically painting a picture of just how desperate things are in the country right now when it comes to the crime and violence issue. South Africans are scared. Ever increasingly, South Africans are investing heavily on, you know, private security because of seemingly the failure of the police to do what is constitutionally their job. There's a story in this, isn't there? When we look at the recent flare-ups, for example, of xenophobic violence, the looting, um, and, you know, these sort of mobs that are running the streets, and these sort of other softer issues, or I shouldn't say softer, other serious issues, um, of gender-based violence. I mean, we had a student at UCT, a 19-year-old student who had gone missing and unfortunately we've now found out, um, you know, was murdered and the guy is appearing in court. There's a story, guys, in this, isn't there? Do SAPs have control of the situation? Maurice? Uh, well, I think uh, the answer is quite obvious. Uh, they clearly don't. Uh, we released a report last year called uh, Broken, The Broken Blue Line. It was the third one in a series of reports we did. And we looked at... Uh, trends of crime uh one of the most interesting ones was we looked at the murder trend and uh murders had actually uh, was at one of the lowest levels it ever been the early part of this decade but now we're back at levels we saw in the mid 90s when crime was completely out of control in south africa so it shows you that uh, there's a number of issues there the police are they just uh, losing control of the situation and i think it's probably fair to say people are acting with uh, more impunity in the country I mean, we see what things that have been happening the last couple of days there's no consequences for some awful things in general <clears throat> and uh, I think uh, yeah, as you said a lot of South Africans are scared and worried about uh, what's going to happen 
And, and this is a big worry. And again, this isn't hyperbole. I mean, one has to consider, for example, that since 1994, nearly half a million South Africans have been murdered in this country. Those are people we know, you know, family members, friends, etc., etc. All of us have a story of how crime has impacted us. Nicholas, I'm going to come to you because, um, you know, here's a big worry, I think. And we had this conversation yesterday on another show that we I, I do called The Daily Friend. But um, I want you to sort of unpack it for us again, just how problematic it is, um, you know, to see the absolute breakdown of law and order on our streets. And it's everywhere, from the Joburg CBD, Pretoria, etc., etc. What is going on, Nicholas? Well, it looks like the police's ability to firmly control public violence has been decreasing for a long period of time. Um, I would say Marikana was a specific breaking point where the ability of the police to uh, public order policing, to public order policing has, has fallen apart. Uh, since then, you can look at a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence. There's a lot of stories um, of riots taking place, often in rural South Africa, which are just completely uncontrolled. If you watched any of the footage of the looting in Turfentine yesterday, uh, the police were just unable to stop it. In fact, there were sort of looters running past the police as it happened. Um, so SAP seems to have lost the ability to actually do um, riot control and any of the, that kind of stuff. Uh, the other issue is that xenophobia has a very specific dimension to it, and that's what's driven a lot of the more recent violence. I mean, we've been suffering from xenophobic attacks since 2008. But there doesn't seem to be a more organized form of it happening. There have been uh, a thousand attacks on trucks on the N3 mm. in the past couple of years, um, which claim to have a xenophobic angle to them. Mm. Um, and that is where trucks have been attacked and then looted by people. Now, there may be more, this may be more driven by the looting, but the expressed justification for it by these uh, looters is that they're taking out foreign drivers who are taking jobs from South Africans. So there needs to be two things that government needs to do to address this. Firstly, they have to give South Africans a sense that they do actually have some control over their borders. Because right now the borders are effectively open. And the second thing that they need to do is they need to educate or organizations like we need to educate people that unemployment is not caused by foreigners taking the jobs, which is a commonly held belief among South Africans. But in fact, that there are structural issues, labor law issues that are causing uh, the, deep, the high levels of unemployment we have in the country. Can I, can I make a comment really flowing from what you've just said? And that is that an efficient police service can investigate crimes and can pre- 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 sorry, prepare the evidence necessary for prosecution. What they cannot do per se is prevent crime. And the... Um, Prevention of crime is very much a societal thing along the lines of growing the economy, jobs, services that work, etc., etc. In other words, it ties back to our last conversation about Mboweni's uh, document, and that is that what needs to be done has not, is not being done. It's almost the opposite. Yeah, um, and, you know, my major concern here, and Maurice, I'm going to come back to you on this because I, I want us to also look at maybe other categories of crime. Um, my major concern here is that th- there's two distinct elements here because we're talking essentially about people's life, liberty, and property mm. when it comes to what should be the role of the state in, in, in terms of protecting, right? So the state is meant to protect life, liberty, and property. Morris, do the police have a handle? Let's look at other categories of crime if, if you have them open in front of you. What are the numbers being showing us in that regard? Well, I just want to uh, say one thing just with xenophobia. The our politicians so have also need to take some responsibility mm. here. Yes. Some yes. of the stuff that Herman Mashaba has said has actually been uh, unacceptable. And David McQuiver just said last month that legislation is the pipeline to restrict which uh, 
uh, sectors foreigners can get involved in, which is that is not the way mm-hmm. uh, the free and open society acts. It's actually it's fascistic to actually to be honest with you. Absolutely. So, but uh, yeah, um, to mo- most of the trends, the like the really the awful crimes, things such as aggravated robbery, which is robbery with a weapon, uh, rape, sexual assault, uh, all those really awful kinds of crime. Uh, they're actually in the part of the year for the last, uh, for the most recent statistics we have, actually dropped in comparison with the previous year. But the five-year trend has all been uh, showing an increase. So all your, like your really the crimes, your worst crimes against the person. So as I say, murders, aggravated robbery, uh, uh, rape and so on they've all been showing a trend an increase on the trend over the past five years which shows you something and it's uh and this is including in uh, the actual numbers that have been happening as well as the um the rate so num- number of crimes per hundred thousand people which is a more accurate reflection than just the pure numbers of these things that are happening so shows i think the police are losing some uh, control over some issues and uh that's also just uh the social fabric of South Africa is also fraying and it's fraying quite quickly Nick I'm going to come back to you because I want to sort of stress this, stress this point in particular policing is a very legitimate function of the state and it's a very important function of the state again I'll come back to this idea that the state has a responsibility to protect life, liberty and property let's look at the issue of property in particular um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a chance to sort of um, air out what you wanted to say there has been a serious assault on uh, people's property rights in this country, both from the political end, in terms of things like expropriation without compensation, but that's for a, a discussion for another day. But I want to get into the, the idea or the fact that police in this country haven't been as serious as they maybe should be in protecting people's assets, their livelihoods, etc., etc. You raised the issue of the burning of trucks on the N3. That's a serious issue. Um, if you look at the farming community, they are some of the biggest victims of property-related crimes. For example, the stealing of, um, you know, uh, uh, livestock, etc., etc. Talk to me. What is going on? That, do, does the police take the protection of people's property rights seriously? Well, the IRR's analysis has shown that the number of things like violent protests has been increasing um, over the last decade at least. Uh, there seems to be a sort of general dissatisfaction in society with a lot of uh, – they tend to be anti-government protests, but they often have a kind of violent dimension to them that's more localized. In terms of the protection of property uh, – as you mentioned, farmers are serious victims of this, uh, of, of losses to stocks and things. It's difficult to estimate the exact amount of money that's going missing every year, but a lot of, uh, a significant percentage of South Africa's productivity is lost mm. to things like the destruction of property or the theft of property. Um, rural South Africa, once again, is particularly hard hit by this. Uh, and we often get focused on things like uh, expropriation without compensation, which is, of course, very mm-hmm. important, the legislation and all that sort of thing. But what's often ignored is how much on the ground some of those policies are almost as though they were in effect already. Mm. Uh, land invasions take place often in South Africa, um, although they're often dealt with. They, they, some of them turn violent, some of them are not violent. Um, and a lot of people lose their rights outside of the law anyway. Uh, our colleague Gabriel Krauser has a story of some people who bought a plantation. They were uh, old, retired uh, the Zulu guys, they bought a plant, they bought a plantation of trees in KZN that they were going to use as their basically business for retirement. The local chief drove them off, um, with basically some thugs and burned down their home so that he could claim ownership of the property. Completely illegal, obviously. But because of the institutional problems in the police, things like corruption, mm. they were unable to recover their property. Um, 
there's still ongoing issues about about that sort of thing. And that that kind of story is not I wouldn't say it's common, but it's not so uncommon as to be as to be insignificant. Can I can I raise a point directly to that and to what Maurice raised about the uh, Premier Gauteng uh, legislating for some changes as to what the um, foreigners may or may not do. The the amount of incompetence and corruption in the police is is monumental, and one of the one of the one of the things that the state often seems to respond with is to legislate. In other words, in the in the absence of action, create a law that is probably bordering on unconstitutional and certainly not going to make any difference because the changes do have to come with regard to the competence of the police and their their training. Maurice, do you see any? Any any sign that that's happening or going to happen, given the fact that we have to claw our way back from ten pretty terrible years? Well, there's nothing that indicates that there is. Uh, I mean, sometimes the rhetoric you get from people like Becky clearly is uh, kind of it shows that he something he wants to do something, but also uh, he's also quite of a, a Rambo type of guy. You see him walking around with AK-47s in public and so on, which I also don't know if that's the best way to. Uh, <laughs> Kind of show that the, High noon, yeah, okay. show that the government is uh, ready to, you know, re- enforce uh, law and order. And sorry, just another thing I was just thinking about is that uh, the DA was also actually guilty of this. I think it was either last or the end of 2017 where they had a. Uh, 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 there was some uh, DA march and uh, the signs that the people had made, which were official Democratic Alliance signs, said uh, South Africans first or South Africa for South Africans, something along, along those lines. And mm. I mean, to to the credit of a lot of senior people in DA, the people uh, – I remember Gavin Davis, I think, who used to be an MP in the DA, was uh, – he, he said on Twitter, he said it was actually terrible that this kind of thing was being uh, put forward. But I mean, just goes to show that uh, there's no one single major political party in South Africa – Who's actually innocent of this? And this is something. And uh, this kind of rhetoric, as I said, starts w- when the politicians start talking about it. Then it's uh, no surprise that these things uh, happen. Like what, what we've seen the last couple of days, where foreigners are being attacked and uh, foreigners having their uh, goods and so on looted. Yeah, and I, I made this point on uh, on Twitter when you know I said, look, the number of scapegoats that politicians have been using, essentially to fuel um, you know tensions and to. Uh, essentially, um, you know, uh, drive wedges in society are quickly running out, you know, from the one set of politicians who rail against quote-unquote white people, the, another, like a Julius Malema, who accuse Indians of being inherently racist, to, again, as Morris was pointing out, you know, the DA, and again, you can run across the spectrum of parties who, who use foreign nationals in this country as a scapegoat. This sort of inflammatory language, this insightful language has consequences. But before I get to any of that, Nicholas, I'm looking at you for the, this next point that I wanted to get to, and it's a very topical issue right now. It's trending all over social media, you know, the uh, men are trash, not all men, um, etc., etc. But the, the genesis of it are some high-profile cases that have, or excuse me, cases that have been in the media um, of young women who've, you know, initially disappeared and then it's turned up that they've been murdered and raped, etc., etc. There's one student I mentioned from the University of Cape Town. I tweeted something out this morning which got a lot of um, uh, reaction and I said, I'm super tired of this 
body of language which essentially places women as inherent victims who must beg men to stop abusing them, to stop raping them, to stop attacking them. Um, and if anything, I'm arguing and advocating for a society where actually women are empowered to be their own first responders. If, if the SAPs are failing to protect women in this country, then women have to become uh, empowered to be their first responders, armed defenders, self-defenders. Um, and of course, you, you then have the chorus of individuals who have issues with, for example, um, gun rights, coming in and saying, oh, this is not a solution. Of course, it's not the panacea, and I'm not saying it is, but surely there is a conversation to be had around the need to empower women to be able to defend themselves. Yeah, the, if you look into the data on firearms ownership, that is legal firearms ownership as opposed to illegal firearms ownership. So it's difficult to say, but it's very possible that the number of le- illegal firearms in South Africa is higher than the number of legal um, and legal firearm ownership would open up avenues for women who want to defend themselves to take personal action in order to protect themselves from things like rape and sexual assault, which are extremely prevalent in South Africa. Uh, we are one of the worst countries for that type of crime in the world. Um, and if one looks into the data on firearms ownership generally and on the uh, legal ownership of firearms, you'll find that when laws are quite permissive, there actually isn't a very strong correlation between crime. There's gun deaths go up, but uh, that's mostly because people use guns as an instrument of suicide. But in terms of the effect on crime, um, legal ownership doesn't seem to drive crime as many people suggest. Yeah. It's actually more that it seems to... Uh, 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 it has either no correlation or, ne- or, or a negative one. Um, now, obviously, there's a lot of noise in the data. People often point to the United States to say, oh, but there's so much gun crime there. Uh, and then they would compare it to a country like Canada, and they'll say, oh, well, Canada has stricter gun laws uh, than, Can- than America, and it's got less gun crime. That's true. Um, but there are several caveats to that. One, Canada actually has a lot of loopholes in its laws. I have a Canadian friend who owns quite a few firearms um, <laughs> that one would think would be illegal in Canada, but actually aren't. Uh, and two, there's uh, other factors at play there. For example, in the United States, there's a lot more murders with blunt instruments mm. than there are in Canada mm. per capita. So it's a generally more violent society. Um, and I think kind of things like gun culture and stuff do pay a part. You know, if everyone thinks that the best thing to do with guns is to swing them around in public and <laughs> act like an idiot, then it, it's a terrible idea to, to start legalizing them on a, on, a, on a large scale. But if you have a, a culture of responsible ownership of very kind of moderate, considered, careful ownership of like sports enthusiasm, of kind of people who are interested in the mechanics of firearms, then they can actually be uh, you can actually use them then for self-defense in a very real way. And they're actually probably going to help out some people. Um, it's unknown exactly how many people are prevented from being robbed or attacked by firearms. It's very difficult to gather that kind of data. But the the estimation is that it can be in the hundreds of thousands every year. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I, I want to come back to this particular point. And as we look to wrap up and um, maybe have a, a brief conversation on what can be done. Um, for me, placing responsibility uh, and the resources and the power into the hands of citizens, individuals, families, for them to be able to protect themselves, especially when there's a failure by the police, is critically important. And, Marius, I'm looking at you because I know there's some suggestions you guys uh, had in that Broken Blue Land report as to how this could be done. Yeah, I just uh, one thing I just want to point out. Uh, while gender-based violence is obviously a massive problem in South Africa, about 80% of murder victims in South Africa are men, which I think shows that we actually just have a broader problem with violence. 
And but I mean, that's obviously not to say that the gender-based violence isn't awful and something mm. that we need to face. But uh, yeah, so what we've mentioned in uh, our broken blue line reports, uh, we had a couple of uh, policy suggestions. Uh, first was that we had to reinstill, reinstill, sorry, the respect for the chain of command. Uh, currently, there doesn't seem to be the respect that for uh, commanding officers within the police that there needs to be. Uh, we suggested creating a university-educated officer corps, so getting people who've uh, higher education to get involved in the police. Uh, the UK actually does that. And they they seem to uh, fare fairly well. Uh, also, better equip uh, APID, which is the organisation that investigates uh, the police themselves uh, when there've been uh, uh, claims of um, uh, police brutality and so on. Uh, we also suggested that a new investigative department within the Department of Justice be established to support APID. We also thought uh, was suggested that the decision making should be decentralised to station leadership, and uh, we also uh, suggested that the appointment process of people uh, both higher up in the police and uh, station commanders uh, be depoliticised. So mm. this is uh, moving away from cadre deployment and simply appointing the best people for the job, which Absolutely. I think that I think they'll fix a lot of problems in South Africa. Absolutely, fully agreed, um, chaps. Thank you so much for joining us for this discussion. I, I know these twenty minutes. <laughs> Bye-bye, but uh, we look forward to having you guys on the show again. We're going to have a few ad breaks, and we'll see you after these short messages. Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Welcome back. Welcome back to the IRR show. Guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know it is short, um, but we are short, concise and punchy on the show. And, um, yeah, but the, the issue we were discussing, sorry, is a really serious one. It's, it's topical. It's right now, isn't it? I particularly want to make a comment about gender violence. Yeah. Because most women are raped or attacked or murdered by people they know. Absolutely. Which suggests that it's a, it's a societal attitudinal thing. And studies I've seen look at the fact that if you want to change the attitudes of boys, you've got to make that change or get to them at about the age of 14. Which means that our schools should be the site of of attempts and, and programs to make that change. So they grow into be adults that you, that their parents would be proud of them to be. Absolutely. And one has to not ignore the social issues, uh, around this. You know, I speak a lot on, you know, anybody who follows me online, um, you know, that's Big Daddy Liberty on any of the social media platforms will see that I make a strong emphasis on the need for the strength of the family unit. Yeah. Um, and the family unit, by the way, can take any iteration. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be, uh, the nuclear family, although that is preferable in my eyes, mm-hmm. my, my own opinion. But what you really need is loving, um, strong, stable families that are able to raise young men. And the problem we have at the right. moment is you have situation where uh, kids are, are finding themselves in families where, you know, things are a little precarious, you know, yeah. uh, parents who maybe don't have the time to raise kids properly. Um, and of course, the issue that has to be raised, you know, the, the father figures who mm. are not playing a role in the household. I mean, last year, we saw the the data from Stats SA that pointed to the fact that 60, was it 62% or so mm. of new births that were registered had no information on the father. That's mm. 60 plus mm. percent of, you know, uh, kids who might grow up without a dad. And that's a serious issue that we must discuss. We must 
us look at um, as we begin to look at the question of how do you build a strong, cohesive society that is able to weather a lot of the social challenges that we have. Yeah, and the thing is, what you have in that situation with the fatherless household is a reliance on other male figures in the family, and then it's a matter of luck as to whether you've got strong, supportive figures yes. or you've got figures who have. Attitudes to women that are less than desirable, yes. and that's uh, and and that's that to me is the core of what one has to try and and deal with. It's it's starting at the beginning rather than trying to do it at the end when the crime has already been committed. Absolutely, and that's why we always make the case as liberals that you know government policy should always be directed at strengthening uh, the family, devolving power and resources as much as possible, and placing them into the hands of decision makers within the home, the umama, the ukogo, the ubaba of mm. the household. Um, so I'm going to bring us back a little bit to what I think we were, we're discussing. We sort of ended off um, abruptly at the IFP. Mm. Um, very briefly, the IFP had a leader for 44 years, Prince Mangosu Tuptelezi, sharp intellectual figure, Zulu uh, nationalist mm-hmm. to an extent, um, but finally ste- steps down and they vote in a new guy, Vilenk Osini Khabisa, um, very articulate, very sharp man. Um, and I had the benefit of attending their elective conference mm-hmm. uh, last weekend as part of the Big Liberty Show. And uh, if you want to see that episode, you're welcome to find it online. Look for Big Daddy Liberty and you search for on YouTube and you can find the uh, uh, the episode on the IFP. But what I really wanted to get to is some of the resolutions they passed That's at that. I mean, it's very fresh um, political rhetoric. Here, here, here they are, the mm-hmm. IFP, the fourth largest party in the country, basically passing a re- resolution um, outwardly rejecting socialism as an idea and pledging to fight it in communities and in the echelons of parliament, that is distinctly different, isn't it? It, it was different. And watching watching the presentation of that resolution and the fact that the decision had been made, had been made the, most, the most interesting thing about it, it was absolutely clear. There, were, there was no hidden language. <laughs> there was no sort of faffing around, bit of left, bit of that, bit of that. There was this, a distinct... Position taken against socialism and, and the wrongs that it, that it can that it can wreak sorry wreak in society, which is important. And I'll end off with this particular point because you know ideology is a serious issue, and it's one which on this show you'll you'll quickly see as we paint the picture, if you will, we add colours and lines and contours to the painting. You'll see how ideology is at the root cause of a lot of the bad decision making uh, that we experience as a country and a lot of the poor policy that we see from government. Sorry, let me move on a little bit. It segues nicely. Um, um, and I, I, I look at the issue of um, the, the old South African flag. Mm-hmm. Um, this was last week's news. Essentially, a, um, a ruling comes out, not necessarily banning the old flag, but essentially... Um, Preventing I, gratuitous displays. Display, I think it's essentially criminalizing yeah. that element. Yeah. In other words, you can't display it gratuitously. Mm-hmm. Um I've argued online that that's the beginning of setting up the language of banning things. If you can now haul people in front of the courts because they displayed something that rightly we all dislike Mm. and we actually hate. I Mm. hate that old flag. It represents Mm. a very evil time in our country. But if you now give the state the power to essentially haul someone in front of the courts at the risk of imprisonment just for displaying something you you don't like, it's a bit of a slippery slope that allows politicians in to then ban things, isn't it? Well, what, what really annoys me about that decision, it was the Equality Court that made it, is that it does open to the increasing banning of or cutting, shutting down of freedoms. But 
it was the circumstances in which it happened and not disputing people's feelings about seeing the, the, the flag, but the context that was put behind the, the hatred of it, the feeling that it makes people feel inadequate, etc. I am not convinced. I, I, I think there was a level of manufactured outrage in that because in reality, the majority of us almost never see Hmm. That, pub, that, that flag in public. And the context in which it arose was the display of the flag at the Black Monday marches of late 2017, where a group of white farmers and supporters were protesting against farm murders. So it wasn't out of nowhere. It wasn't about nothing. And there were some, some, fla- some flags flown, although by all accounts, it w- they weren't particularly big and it wasn't particularly widespread. But to me, and I think to most of us, what it meant is you're dealing with a group of people who feel marginalized, who feel under attack. They don't have, necessarily have jobs. Yes, they don't. They may have had power once and don't have it anymore. But they, they are not in power any, anymore. Yeah. It was, it was part of a display of where they were. It was not about people wanting to take over and bring back apartheid. And I think that element of the judgment was completely and utterly fallacious. And, but the worst thing about the judgment is that the court banned, and this is almost comic, the, disp- the, the display of the flag in one's own home, in case people who might be hurt by it see it, um, and it could only be used for artistic, political, or sort of other circumstances. It's, it's, it's a, as I say in Yiddish, it's a bitter gelechte. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a joke. Absolutely. And, <coughs> excuse me, um, the, the, the real concern for me is this. Whenever you begin to allow the state um, and political elites to control language, to control thought, to control things, even if, by the way, we find those things reprehensible, mm, mm. and often that's how they, they do it, right? They, they'll pick something um, that we all know we hate and essentially use that um, to begin to ban things. And to me, this is the slippery slope that I speak to in terms of the erosion of our freedoms. Guys, we're going to go to our last ad break. Is that correct? And uh, we will see you after this. Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Hey guys, welcome back to the IRR show. Um, again, um, we're going to wrap it up at this point. And um, as we wrap it up, um, Sarah, I'm going to ask us to just quickly, briefly look at the news cycle, mm-hmm. um, you know, going ahead. What should people be looking out for? Okay, okay so first of all, the, the Mboweni report is going to be very important because it, there's going to be increasing response to it, both in left and right. And it may offer a real opportunity to get into some meaningful debate about the rights and wrongs of, of policy in this country. So I think that's going to rumble on because there is obviously a reason why the, why the Treasury, why Tito Mboweni put this thing out all of a sudden. Mm. So I think it's, it's really, really worth watching. Another key area, the president, will he come out and say something? The country is literally burning right now. You know, shops are being looted, you know, CBDs are being rendered, um, quote unquote, ungovernable or shut down. Will we hear from the president? Will he provide leadership? Well, I'm afraid that he's MIA and people who know me know that I think he's MIA most of the time and we'll look at it in future shows. But it's 
it's about crucial leadership and we're not seeing it at the moment. Absolutely. And of course, um, a key, key issue, a major battleground that mm. we're heading into is the national health insurance. Mm. Parliament has called for submissions or has it been government essentially yeah, Parliament cool. pa- calling for uh, public comment on the proposed bill and it it's incumbent on you, the citizen, to get your voice out, isn't it? It's absolutely incumbent, and to the extent that we can help, because we'll be putting out campaigns and responses and putting presentation, uh, representations out by the 15th of October, which doesn't give anybody much time. Mm. But it's absolutely crucial. It's, it's, it's a dreadful piece of legislation. And we'll be having that conversation on the show perhaps even next week as we look to bring you guys another exciting episode of the IRR show. Guys, you can find us online um, by searching, uh, on, on the one hand, for Big Daddy Liberty. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and on YouTube. Just look for at Big Daddy Liberty. And of course, you can find our news analysis and opinion on the Daily Friend website. That's www.dailyfriend.ca.za. That's where you'll find a lot of the analysts we spoke to here. They write on there and they provide content. Um, Sarah, first, interesting first show. Um, we're super nervous, but um, we, we, it looks like we've gotten through. We, thank you. Yes, I think we have. And we have a lot to offer, I think. And We'll do so in the coming weeks. And, uh, yeah, I, I encourage you, the listener, to give us feedback. As I said, please find me online. Let me know how we did on the show. Uh, you can find me by searching at Big Daddy Liberty on Twitter, Big Daddy Liberty on Facebook, and, of course, Big Daddy Liberty on uh, YouTube. Sara, next week, yep. what will we likely be looking at? I know I'm throwing a curveball curve at you on that one. Possibly more in Bawini. Um with South Africa, a day or a week is a long time in politics, so we're not quite sure what uh, what what's going to hit us in the in, in the face in that time. But th- there's going to be ongoing issues surrounding the violence and mm. the, the looting and the destruction. And is there any anything or anyone behind it? Yeah. Um, is it is it spontaneous outbreaks? But I think more more than anything is going to be that. There's also, I think, going to be some interest in to what extent Ace Magashule is going to be hit by revelations of corrupt, further corrupt, further revelations of corruption and, and no goodness. Um, and this, of course, the Zondo Commission rolls on in that respect. But, the, but as, from my point of view, the interference with health rights um, is going to be on the radar for a while to come. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I am Big Daddy Liberty, and I was joined, of course, by the ever-radiant Sarah Gunn. And this was your first episode of the IRR Show. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.